Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm number 23, Psalm 23. And we have some Bibles that are marked to that portion of Scripture. These guys have them, so as they make their way back, if you need a Bible, they'll get one to you so you can follow along. And we are looking at Psalm 23 rather than continuing our series that we've been going through for several months in the book of Ephesians uh, for one reason that I'll explain in a moment and another reason that changed this morning. Uh, We were to have a guest speaker next week. And rather than me doing, doing a message in Ephesians, then a guest speaker, and then back to Ephesians, I thought I would have him next week, and then I would continue Ephesians in some semblance of order. However, I got a note this morning saying that uh, the guest speaker we were to have next week is not coming, so I would have continued in Ephesians today, but the best laid plans. But I think it's good for us to take a look at this extremely comforting and very famous psalm for a second reason, and that is that preaching has sometimes been described this way, as afflicting the comfortable and comforting the afflicted. And as I've looked at my ministry over the years, I think I'm pretty good at the one and not so good at the other. I think I'm fairly good at afflicting the comfortable. You probably would agree. This past Sunday, if you were able to be with us, you know that we had what I described in an email that I sent to our church family. It was a very convicting message about the fact that we will all stand before our God one day and give an account for how we used what he has given and whether it was used for the purposes for which he he gave it. And it talked about our responsibilities to our God in light of the grace that he has shown to each of us. If you were not here last week, I encourage you to listen to that at our website online. But that, I think, would yet again fit in that category of afflicting the, the comfortable. And so I wanted to take this week and to look at comfort from our God and not things that we do for God, but that is entirely focused upon what God does for us. And that's what we find in Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is without doubt the most famous psalm in the book by that name. And it is most often read at funerals or at deathbeds, and it is, of course, very appropriate for that. But it is also, as we're going to see, a psalm not just for those who are at death's door or at memorial services and funerals, but it is a psalm for the living. Because as we will see, it deals with situations of worry and anxiety and fear, the kinds of things that you and I experience in day-to-day life and undoubtedly have experienced even this past week. This psalm, like all of the Psalms, has a story attached to it. It's a a self-contained unit. It's not just bits and pieces, one verse disconnected from the previous verses. And so as we're going to see, these six verses that comprise this most famous Psalm do indeed tell a story, in fact, give the story of a journey of sheep being led by their, their shepherd. And central to this story, is that no matter where the shepherd leads us, we need not fear, because he is always with us, says verse number 4. The opening words of Psalm 23 are, the Lord is my shepherd. And that's what the psalm is entirely about. It is about the character and the goodness of the one who is our shepherd, none other than the Lord himself, 
And if you have an NIV in front of you, you'll see that the word Lord there is in all capital letters, capital L, capital O, R, and D. And that's the translator's device for indicating that it's a translation of a particular name in Hebrew for God, that of Yahweh. So Yahweh is my shepherd. Now, why does that matter? Well, it's because Yahweh, in the first part of your Bible, the Old Testament, is the personal name of God. So the things that are said in Scripture about Yahweh and His relationship with people are said about the special relationship that He has in personal relation to those that He has called out of the world and to Himself, His very own people. The Lord is their shepherd. And if you are one of those people, then this is true of you in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. This psalm is all about them, what the Lord, the Good Shepherd, does for those who are in relationship with Him. The second part of verse 1, which says, I shall not be in want, and we'll see the ways in which the Lord, the Good Shepherd, supplies the things that we need in just a moment. But that second part of verse 1, I shall not be in want, is kind of a heading. One of two headings in this psalm. I shall not be in want, and then it tells us how the Lord supplies what we need. And then there's a second heading at the beginning of verse 3. He restores my soul. And then it goes all the way from there down to the end of verse 6 to show us how it is that God restores, revives, renews our lives. David is the one who wrote this. You see that at the very top. It'll say a, a psalm of David in the superscription. Now, David is the king of Israel. And the king is said to be in the Old Testament, the first part of your Bible, uh, the shepherd of Israel. And we know that David, of course, was a shepherd. But here, he's a sheep. And he has the Lord as his shepherd. Now, you might think that what he's going to talk about is what it's like now to be a sheep of this marvelous shepherd And therefore, the responsibilities that are incumbent on one who has this privileged position. But it's not that. This entire psalm is not about what we do because he's our shepherd. But rather, it's completely focused on what he does because he has the character of this good shepherd. It's the Lord is my shepherd. It's not I'm the Lord's sheep and therefore this is what I do. But rather, because he's my shepherd... Here's all of the things that he does for me. It's a focus upon his faithfulness and upon his goodness. And so as we look at this psalm, as we leave today, you're not going to be asked to do anything. But rather revel in the fact that if we have a relationship with the true and living God, he indeed is our shepherd. And to emphasize that throughout the psalm, The subject of each of these lines is always the Lord, the shepherd, and the object is always the sheep, in this case, David. And so, verse 2, he makes me lie down. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me. And so it's all about what he does. Now, it doesn't mean that the sheep is passive. We're going to see that there's a movement to the psalm of the shepherd leading his sheep in a flock, from one destination to another. And so this sheep is part of a flock that's on on the move. 
And so he goes in verse 2 by green pastures and still or quiet waters. And then on the move again through paths and a valley. And then finally up to the house of the Lord. The shepherd is doing more than moving the sheep from one patch to another. It has purpose to it. The shepherd is going to move his sheep through these different areas in order to achieve a particular purpose. We're going to see that this is a description of a a pilgrimage because it ends in verse 6 at the house of the Lord where pilgrims would journey and the shepherd is now leading the sheep through all of these different areas, different spaces, finally culminating in the house of the Lord. In verses 5 and 6, the shepherd becomes a banquet host, mixing the illustrations, mixing the metaphors. And in all of it, friends, the central idea is the central phrase of the entire song. The Lord, my shepherd who leads me, is according to verse 4. You are with me. And I say that's central, and not just in thought, but literally in structure. There are 55 Hebrew words in the psalm. And there are three Hebrew words that translate that phrase, for you are with me. So you've got 55, three of them are for that phrase. And there are 26 words before it and 26 words after it. Literally central to the whole idea of this song, that the Lord is my shepherd, is that no matter what happens, no matter what he leads me through on this journey, this pilgrimage, what's most important is that the Lord is with me. And that's why if you look at the title in the outline that you received, you look up at the top, I've titled this message, It's Okay, He's with me. Now, what that means to you depends on where you put the emphasis, right? I mean, it conjures up the image of you going into a place and you've got somebody with you and perhaps the the bouncer at the door knows you but not your friend and you say, it's okay, he's with me. But no, it's not okay because he's with me. It's okay because he's with me. It's all about him and the fact that he is with us in life's journey, leading us to his good appointed end. And let's pray and ask God that to help us as we look at this pilgrimage that is Psalm 23. Our Father, we come to you as your people in need of your word, in need of the courage that only you can supply to see us through moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, and week by week in a fallen and difficult and treacherous world. But you supply that courage for us by the example of the Lord Jesus, by the work of your Spirit in your people, and by the reminders that we have throughout your word, one of which we consider today. Help us, Lord, to leave this place in awe of who you are, and your faithfulness to us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Some years ago, I was privileged to take a workshop on Psalm 23, taught by a professor at the seminary I've been able to attend out in Philadelphia, Westminster Seminary. And in that workshop, Professor Douglas Green 
pointed out a structure to the psalm that was helpful to me, and I hope it'll be of help to you. We can see what David is describing if we understand that this psalm involves elements of geography of Israel and also the different seasons of the year that would take place in Israel. And so just having in your mind kind of a map and a calendar will help you understand what's being taught in the psalm, and I'll explain how. Notice verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now on the map, this is a journey that the shepherd is leading the sheep, and it begins south of Bethlehem, the city of the city of who? The city of David. David, this the shepherd and now king who is writing of his good shepherd. And so on the map it begins just south of Jerusalem, the city of David, which is the Judean highlands. And if you go about five to ten miles to the east, there's land that's suitable for growing. Grains like barley and, and wheat and others. And if you go just a bit further east, there's this semi-arid space where sheep graze in what are called the pasture lands. It's not grain, but it's a place where grass springs up, sheep grain as it were. And then after that, beyond that, is wilderness, dry, hard land. And so the map involves pastures that are in a transitional zone between the area that grows grain and the dry, hard wilderness. And in between that, you have this grassy area where sheep could graze. And then there is the the seasonal calendar. And for verse 2, the time of season is springtime. The winter rains have come to an end. There would be rains in that part of the world early in the fall, latter rain in the winter, and by the end of winter, the rain is done, the warmth has come, and grass begins to grow. And so in verse 2, when it says, He leads me into these green pastures where I can lie down. These are green pastures of spring grass between the grain areas and the wilderness area. And verse 2 says, He leads me beside quiet water. And these are waters that remain from those rains. The heat, the warmth has begun, but it has not become so hot that it has dried up the pools of water. And so within this grassy area now, there are these pools of water. The sheep can lie down in the grassy area. They can graze there, but they can also drink from these these pools. So in verse 2, we're in the springtime where sheep are at home and shepherding is easy. And this is to point for you and me to really the norm of our lives. Verse 2 is describing times when life is good. There's nothing that I lack. When we have all that we need, when we are safe and secure. And isn't it amazing, an amazing thing, friends, that even though we live in a fallen, and as we're going to see even in the psalm, a very difficult and dangerous world, that those times when life is good and we have safety and security and we have all that we need, that those are the norm rather than the exception. Think about it. They could easily be the exception to the rule, could they not? 
in a fallen and difficult world. But when you and I think about times that are difficult, those are the exception to the rule for most of us. Pointing to the goodness of this shepherd who leads us in verse 2, in springtime to grassy areas where life is good, there is safety and security. And that's why I say in your outline, this psalm teaches us, in that first blank you have in your outline, that the Lord is with us in good times. The Lord is with us in good times. Now that's obvious to most of us. We give praise to the Lord in the good times. If you play a sport or you watch sports on television and somebody scores a touchdown, those are good times. The Lord's with me. Point to the sky. If you fumble the ball, have you ever seen anybody fumble and go? The good times are easy to identify and to agree with. The Lord is with us in good times. But in the journey of life on which the Lord, our shepherd, goes before us, it's not all good times. Skip verse number three for now. We'll come back to it at the, at the end of our message. But take a look at verse number four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. The shepherd now leads the sheep further east, beyond the pasture lands, into the wilderness, where, are the, where there are these steep ravines, and they cut down through the desert, and they drop quickly to the Dead Sea or to the Jordan River. That's the map. And then on the seasonal calendar, it's now summer. And all the grass and the pasture lands have dried off and the pools have, of water have now evaporated. And the question is, why does this good shepherd lead the sheep into these dry lands? Why into the desert? Well, in all likelihood, it's because of the time of year. It's necessary in order to find food and water. There would be springs at the bottom at places like En Gedi where food and water could be found. And so even though it's a treacherous journey, the shepherd takes the sheep and leads the sheep into territory that's now dangerous. And it's space that's filled with death, and it's a time that's filled with fear. One misstep going through that terrain, and a sheep could lose its life. That's true for us as well in life, isn't it? We have life this morning that we thank God for. But there's just one thing, and there's a multiplicity of things that could happen, such that that would change in an instant. And sometimes we find ourselves in territory where we know health issues or other issues, where we know the fragility of the lives that we've been given and that God protects. So the Lord is with us in good times, but secondly, in your outline, the Lord is also with us even in the bad times, even in the difficult times. And the journey, the psalm goes on, is this metaphor, this illustration of our lives in a third and final scene. From the pasture lands where there is this green grass and these still quiet waters into the wilderness where there's danger and even, even death, it goes now to a banquet table. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, 
and I will dwell in the house of Yahweh, of the Lord, forever. So there's now a shift from the shepherd to a banquet host, and from being a sheep to being a guest of now the Lord as banquet host. We are now his guests at his banquet table. And the sheep, I assume, is partaking rather than being partaken of at this, at this banquet. And where are we now in our journey? It's not where you would expect to end. You would expect to end kind of back at the beginning, that the shepherd brings you back and then to this new season and into this now uh, grassy area, into this area where you have these, these waters. But it's not where you'd expect to end. Rather, it's, it, it ends in a much better place than where we started. It's in the house of the Lord forever. It's in the place of worship in Jerusalem. And we've gathered there to celebrate God's goodness, as signified in verse 5, by the cup and by the the oil. The time of season is now the early fall. And it calls to mind a feast in the first part of your Bible, the Old Testament, called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a feast of ingathering. It's a harvest festival. It's akin to our holiday of thanksgiving. Tabernacles was a a celebration of all the blessings that God bestows in salvation. The bounty of, in the Old Testament, the promised land. This is not for David dying and going to heaven. But it's the blessings of God's bounty in the land. The barley harvest, the wheat harvest, fruit harvest... The wine, they are all in, and now it is time to celebrate God's bounty and His goodness. And so the shepherd has led the sheep to the end of this pilgrimage, to God's place of worship, later to be God's God's temple in Jerusalem, in His presence. And verse 6 tells us this is the climax of the journey. It says that I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Notice for how long? forever. I'm not going back. I'm especially not going back to the wilderness where there is death and where there are dire circumstances. Now in the presence of the Lord and forever in the presence of the Lord. Verse 4 to verses 5 and 6 means that, now get this, God has restored our lives through the threat of death and brought us out on the other side into the presence of God. I told you the beginning of verse 3 is the second of two headings. He restores my soul. He restores my life. How does he do that? Even though life leads me through these difficult circumstances, and even deadly circumstances, he has guaranteed that I am going to be in the presence of the Lord forever. And that's why I say thirdly in your outline, We will be with the Lord for all time. The Lord is with us in the good times, and the Lord is with us in the bad times, and He has guaranteed that despite those difficult times, whatever they are, whatever they bring, that His ultimate destination for us is to be with Him forever, to be with Him for all time. Now, do you all remember that our Lord Jesus had this very same journey. 
The Lord is my shepherd and David's shepherd. And God the Father is also Jesus' shepherd, who was taken from the valley of the shadow of death into death itself. But Christ's shepherd, the Father, brought him through on the other side. And friends, this anticipates our story as people who are called into union with Christ. We walk behind Jesus, treading where he has already gone. And one of the reasons that I can go without fear is because I know the Lord has already gone here before me, and he has triumphed, and so will I. a song that my family and I like to listen to that says, when I am weary with the cost, I see the triumph of the cross, and in its, the cross's shadow, I shall run. Your love endures and your ways are good. Your love endures. Your ways are good. And the song goes on to say, in the middle of these difficult circumstances, I turn to wisdom, not my own, for every battle you, Jesus, have known. My confidence will rest in you. Your love endures. Your ways are good. Your love endures. Your ways are good. The psalm, as I said earlier, is very powerful. When it is read as a psalm of comfort at times of death or on one's deathbed. But I also said it's really a psalm for the living and a metaphor, an illustration of God's guidance of us throughout various stages in life. The truth is we all live lives shadowed by death and death's nasty attendance. Things like sickness and disease financial disaster, anything that causes us to be afraid, that terrifies us, that brings us fear. All the things that scare us are death's helpers. All the things that frighten us and make us afraid are death's helpers. But our God who has conquered death, our God who is the giver of life, this God has said to us with his most oft-repeated command in all of Scripture, the most often given command is do not be afraid. Fear not. Are you not amazed that non-Christians, people who don't have this shepherd and this relationship with this shepherd, in a fallen and, and difficult and treacherous world, are able to most often make it through life without being struck down by fear? I mean, think of what's out there. I don't want to think about it for too long. And I thought about just giving you all sorts of graphic details just to make sure you got the point. But just think in general about what's out there. And the things that can befall any of us. Accidents can happen this morning, this afternoon. Tragic accidents, sometimes fatal accidents. We are hearing about, and our police officer friends in our congregation tell me that kind of behind the scenes and under the headlines, there are more and more robberies going on with a difficult economy that's probably to be expected. I have some 
folks that we know who just uh, within the last couple of months had someone hiding in their closet in their house in Allen Park. This person was kind of strung out on, on drugs, wound up coming through their uh, sliding door and hiding in, their, hiding in their closet. So we can be harmed by accidents, by robberies, by, by stray bullets or perhaps intended bullets. So there are all kinds of things that can befall us. And I'm amazed that those who don't know Christ can make it through life without having the confidence that they have a shepherd who's going to lead them to a good place of blessing. Now, why does the Lord do this? And why can we have this kind of, this kind of confidence? Well, I want you to notice verse number, number 3. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, verse 2. And then verse 3, he restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. Now notice why, for his name's sake. The Lord is righteous, which means that the Lord will keep his promises. And the shepherd who is leading us is leading us along paths of, of righteousness. It's not that the paths themselves are righteous, but the shepherd who's leading us is righteous. And he is showing us the way of righteousness, as it were, by his own example. And the Lord is then righteous by keeping his promise. But why does God keep his promise? To lead us through all the events of life and ultimately to a place of goodness and blessing. Well, it's because, yes, he loves us, but ultimately, it's because of what verse 3 says. He leads us, guides us in these paths for his name's sake. Friends, in the difficult, fallen, treacherous world, the deepest reason for us not to fear is because God cares about his reputation as a promise-keeping God. His righteousness is at stake. And because his name, his reputation... His honor and His glory are at stake. Therefore, you can be absolutely certain that what David wrote that is true for him will be true for you and all of those for whom the Lord is our shepherd. Wouldn't it be awful if it were possible for one day God to wake up and say, today I think I'll break my promise to be with my people. I can do what I want, and I want to do that today. Have you ever thought about one day God just saying, I'll do today what I feel like doing? And we would say, but God, you, you can't do that. And he would say, no, I'm sovereign. I can do that. We would say, God, but that would make you a liar. But God didn't care. And I ask you this question, friends. Do you believe that it's even possible for that to happen? If that day could ever come, it would be a day of terror and of chaos. But it will never come. Why? Because verse 3 says God is absolutely passionate about his reputation, about his name, about his glory. And so God's reason for doing all of these things in the psalm is not ultimately because of us, but ultimately because of his own reputation. And his righteousness, therefore, requires that he carry out the things that he has promised. So how do we know that he keeps his promise? Well, one, you're here. 
you're here today. God has kept you safe yet another week. Do you ever think about the things that God protected you from that didn't happen? You know, whenever we have a close shave, we'll say, oh, the Lord protected me. Thank you, Lord. But think about all the things he protected you from that just didn't happen. You didn't even have occasion to think about. You slept last night and nobody came in and robbed you. Who protected you? I heard a pastor pray one time at a pastor's conference recently, actually. And he started out by saying, Lord, we thank you for a good night's rest and thank you for protection while we slept. And I thought, wow, that's exactly right. God has brought us here this morning and God has protected us. How do I know that God keeps his promise? He's done it yet another cycle for you and for me. You're here. But how do I ultimately know that God keeps this promise to take me through the valley of the shadow of death and ultimately to a place of goodness and a blessing? It's because ultimately because Jesus died. And Jesus died showing that God keeps his promise. Didn't God make that promise that he would send one to die for his people's sins hundreds of years before it happened? And you see that fulfilled in the life of Jesus. God keeps his promise in in Jesus' life and in his death and in his resurrection. And so I encourage people, often when I counsel them, they're going through difficulty. I encourage them as I encourage you this morning to think about life as a sort of adventure, a safari, whatever you want to call it. That's got all kinds of paths and turns and twists. And beyond those turns and those twists, you know not what lies ahead. But you're being led in that path by one who has gone before you. And by one who knows what's around that corner. One who has experienced what's around that corner. One who has come out on the other side. One to whose life and death you are united because we've been united with Christ. And because he is a promise-keeping God and cares for his reputation and his namesake, you absolutely will come out to the place of blessing, to a good place. And so the Bible promises over and over. I'm the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you, and I will increase the number of your descendants. Now, Why should you not be afraid? I am with you. Why should I not be afraid in the psalm? Because God is with me. The good shepherd is with me. Psalm number 118 says, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. Psalm 27 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And how long will the Lord be with us? Protecting us in the things we see and even the things we don't see. And even when he allows us to go through and leads us into difficult times. And ultimately, in death, he will be with us. Now notice this through that, and he chooses sometimes not to take us around that, but he will always be with us, absolutely with us, through that, 
And so the Bible says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Famously, Paul says in Romans 8, if God is for us, he's not just with us, but he's with us because he's for us. And he's for us because he's for his reputation as a promise covenant keeping God. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? And how do I know that he will continue to be for me? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And so in verse number four of our psalm, God does all of this because of his reputation's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear not. I will fear no evil. Here's the central issue in the psalm. You are with me. And he goes on to say this, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, the shepherd, just like he supplied green grass and still waters, to fulfill what we need as our shepherd in verse 2. He also has concrete tools by which he supplies the safety and security for his sheep in the journey that is this life. I will not fear. Why? Because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, what is this rod? Rod is a club that the shepherd would have. And he would club uh, dangerous animals that would come toward the sheep and attack the sheep. Those dangerous animals were often lions and bears. No kidding. You all remember when Samuel went to anoint David as the king and he said, where have you come from? And David says, I just killed a lion and a bear. Shepherding was tough work. And what would they kill an oncoming lion or a bear with? They They have this club, they have this rod to protect the sheep. And what's the staff about? through the the valley of the shadow of death, through these cut ravines that are steep and dangerous. Well, this was the the shepherd's crook, had the hook on the end, and it was that that the shepherd would use to bring the sheep back into line onto a safe path for him. How many times does your good shepherd do that for you? I said at the beginning of this message that, you know, sometimes it's difficult for me, believe it or not, to preach difficult passages and to say the kinds of difficult things that I said last week, but it's true, it is. It convicts me, it's hard for me, and I don't want to simply afflict the comfortable, but I also want to comfort the, the afflicted. But one of the things that God does is he uses a staff to call us back into line. And friends, we do well to see that as a good measure from a good shepherd because he cares for us and ultimately cares for his own reputation and that we stay on the right path. So I invite you back to the outline. All of that means this. The Lord is with us in the good times and the Lord is with us in the bad times. And we will be with the Lord ultimately for all time. But lastly, the Lord is with us at all times. Come what may, whether by the green grass, by the still waters, whether in the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is with us at all times. 
And so as you go through your circumstances, whatever they are, whatever you've gone through this week, whatever the Lord has for you on this safari, this adventure with the twists and turns of the coming week, whatever he has for you, remember what we say in the take-home truth at the bottom of your outline. The only thing that matters, come what may, is that the Lord is with us. And if you can cultivate that mindset, And that kind of heart that says, come what may, no matter what difficulty presents itself to me, Jesus has walked this way first. And he is a covenant-keeping, a promise-keeping, a faithful God because he cares about his reputation, about his name's sake. And therefore, he cares that I arrive at the destination that he has designed for me, a good place where I will be in the presence of the Lord forever. So no matter what happens, what has happened or will happen, the Lord is with me. And that is all that matters. Let's bow together and thank our God for being our good shepherd. Our Father, we thank you that you shepherd us through life in a fallen world. We thank you that we have God the Son, the Lord Jesus was come to earth and he was, as it were, led as a sheep to slaughter on our behalf. He's ultimately the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And God the Son, your Son, has walked this path before us in a much more, a much more, an infinitely more treacherous path than any of us have trod or ever will trod. He came out on the other side victorious in his resurrection. And he's defeated the last enemy, which is death. And therefore, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and all of its nasty attendance of disease and sickness and financial problems and difficulties of all sorts, we will not fear. Because the God who protected Jesus and brought him out on the other side will bring us to this good place of blessing. Yes, there is suffering for us. Yes, there is difficulty for us in a fallen world. But we can and we will endure, not in our own strength, but because we depend upon the example of the Lord Jesus and the promises of our faithful God. I pray, Lord, that your people will then have courage, that they will be comforted. That is, that in the face of the danger that that we all live in, that they will be courageous because your rod and your staff give us that courage. Oh, Lord, I know how weak I am. Oh, Lord, I know how weak we are in our sin, in our humanity. But you can do all things. And you have promised to do all for us that you have done for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are for us, then who or what can be against us? Help us, Lord to look to you now, this day and this week, for the comfort, the courage, and the strength we need to live for you in this fallen world and to bring praise to your name. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.